0: Keeping Up with Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure is sponsored by SJL General Contractors. SJL General Contractors is licensed in both Alabama and Tennessee. This family owned business provides mass grading, storm drainage, sewer and concrete improvement, asphalt paving, erosion control, demolition, and heavy hauling. If you're in need of any of these services, you can contact them at 931 433 4660. That is 931 433 4660. If you'd like to be employed by this family owned company, three W's and a dot, dot www.sjnl.com. What's more effective? A well trained person with no equipment or a well-equipped person with no training. Well, in certain cases, I'd have to say that a person with proper training can get by with minimal equipment. But ideally, you'd like to have both. Lads to leaders. Now, lads to leaders is known as a program, but I'd like to describe it as a process. You see, the name is the process. You take lads, young people, and you mature them into leaders. The process of lads becoming leaders is about both equipment and training. Young people are equipped with values, they are equipped with philosophy, and they are equipped with special skills. Lads to Leaders is not just learning to do, But in reality, it's doing to learn. And as people participate in the Lands to Leaders program, they become well-trained and well-equipped to be the future leaders. And church leaders or community leaders, it, it produces leadership qualities in young people. The Lads to Leaders program is the legacy of Dr. Jack Zorn, who invented the program. If you're interested in participating in Lads to Leaders, ladstoleaders.com. If you're interested in learning more about it, you can contact Rhonda Fernandez, 321 202 7600, 321 202 7600, ladstoleaders.com. Producing leaders in the church, in the future, in the young people today. I'm not sure you'd call it a collection. I only have two, and, and so I don't. I don't know if two qualifies as a as as a collection. Uh, you know, I guess that at some point one has to say, "Well, I collect these things." How many do you have? And if you say only one, then that really doesn't make it a collection. I, I'm not sure how that works. I know the first of an event is not the first annual; it's the inaugural. And you, you can't have annual until you've at least done two and plan to do three. So maybe I don't have a collection of whistles, and and maybe I do. But, but don't get the wrong idea. Whistles are not my love language. In fact, uh, you might say that they're the antithesis of my love language. Probably goes back to my student days at Harding University and the young man with red hair who strolled around the campus whistling like a traveling minstrel. Now, he was a talented whistler. The volume at which he could whistle was was unbelievable, and you could recognize the show tunes and the things that he was whistling, but not only was he talented and not only was he voluminous, he was prolific, and he always whistled. He never walked anywhere that he wasn't whistling, and that's inside and outside, and it is rude to whistle inside a building, and it is annoying to whistle outside of a building, but he did. And maybe there's some residual trauma there that connected me with the whistling. If I'm hunting, and and when you hunt and a deer recognizes your presence or or is spooked by your presence, they they do this thing called blowing. And it's a loud, kind of a forced air through the nose. And they'll go, and every time I've ever shot a deer that was blowing at me, I thought about the young red-haired man at Harding University. So, maybe it's a a trauma scar. Maybe it's an artifact from being disturbed from afternoon naps because of the whistling minstrel of Harding University. But anyway, there may be a connection between that and my collection of whistles. I'll only tell you about one episode of collecting whistles. I've been asked to speak at a youth rally in North Carolina, and I loaded the, the church kids up on a, on a van, and we drove across to, to the location, and we got there late on a Friday afternoon, and all the, the children, maybe 125, maybe 175 kids, assembled at this church building, and we sang some songs, and we played some games and did some icebreakers, and then it was announced. Now, tomorrow the youth rally won't take place here. The youth rally will take place at XYZ Park, a park. We're going to have a youth rally at a park. Now this is not we're going to play flag football at the park. We're not going to play soccer at the park. We're not going to play frisbee golf at the park. We're going to go to the park and we're going to sit outside and, and ask our guest speakers to speak outdoors at a park. And I'm not I'm not sure if you've ever tried to do any teaching outside. An outdoor youth rally ranks among the top 10 of some of the worst mistakes and worst decisions youth ministers can make. Among the top 10 are lock-ins. Let's get kids together and let's keep them up all night and let's hyperinflate them with sugar and carbohydrates and expect that by 2 o'clock in the morning things are going to go swimmingly as their blood sugar crashes and their tonics for each other goes off the rails. No, 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 no. Youth ministers do not do lock-ins. It's a recipe for disaster. It degrades very quickly after the midnight hour. Second among the things that you do at youth rallies or things that youth ministers do that are probably on my list of things that you shouldn't do is bonfire devos. Now, there's nothing wrong with a bonfire and there's nothing wrong with a devotional and under certain circumstances there's nothing wrong with with com- with combining the two if you want to sit down on a on a cool evening and build a fire and and sing some songs but no 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 don't don't gather kids around a fire and sing songs and then say oh and by the way let's have a thought provoking spiritual message from our guest speaker because you can't give a thought provoking spiritual message at at a bonfire you've brought kids teenagers hormone focused teenagers and you've brought them out into the cool weather and you've said let's build a bonfire and you guys sit close enough around so you can hear a guy who doesn't have a microphone speak that means you're sitting close enough to each other to snuggle and if you're standing on the northern hemisphere of the bonfire, you can't see the southern hemisphere. And if you're standing on the western hemisphere, you can't see the eastern hemisphere. And so what begins to happen is you lose control of this thing, and you can't see your Bible, and you're going to have to preach by either quoting scriptures or telling stories. And, and it's a recipe for disaster, not mm-hmm. to mention the smoke blowing all over everything and everybody. And Okay, you get a pass if you speak if you sing at the, at the bonfire, but don't, don't gather kids around a bonfire in the dark when it's cold enough to snuggle and expect them to get anything of any value out of a guy who's speaking. And probably the top of this list is let's have an outdoor youth rally. Now I know we do classes outside at summer camp, and I know that that's part of the summer camp experience. And you sit under the pavilions or under the shade trees, and that that's part of camping. But you've you've gathered 125 to 175 kids, and you go to a public park. Now you didn't reserve the park you didn't rent the park so during your youth rally you've got people screaming you got people laughing you can hear people shouting people on bicycles ride through the area of the the park that you're sitting to to have your your lesson i was given this little hillside to teach one of my lessons and I remember walking out into the bright sunshine of the North Carolina summer and the kids stand sitting on the hillside and me standing down. Then this one particular young man decided that since we were outside, there were probably no rules, and he kept laying down in the middle of my class. And I was probably a little more enthusiastic about – uh people paying attention to me than I am now. I realize now as a speaker, my job is to speak. Your job is to pay attention. If you don't do your job, as long as you're not disrupting me, it's it's, it's not a problem. But this kid was problematic, and so he kept laying down. And I finally said, young man, the next time you lay down in my class, I'm going to assume you've passed out, and I'm going to put my lips on you. He sat bolt upright, eyes wide, paid attention for the whole thing. But at this outdoor youth rally, this fiasco, this debacle, this bad decision. The person in charge of the youth rally had decided that he would communicate and heard the people of the youth rally between sessions and between places, and he would get our attention with a whistle. Yes, a shrill, silver coach's whistle. And you'd just be sitting around talking and, and this thing would go off. Now, it's not like that you're just, you know, sitting around and, and he decides to make an announcement and say it's time for class to end or time for class to begin or it's time to eat lunch. He would just blow this thing and decide, oh, by the way, did everybody notice the beautiful butterflies? Or he would blow this thing and make some random announcement. He was obsessed with getting people's attention with this whistle and it was on my last nerve. Now, I do programming with large groups of people. We've worked with, with people on ropes courses and in outdoor education. But, but those are things where you're doing experiences. It's not where you're just sitting around and, and expecting people to have a lecture. And, and oftentimes, I remember working at Barry College with, with Mike King, and you know Mike would get his groups, he would teach his groups this clapping rhythm. He'd clap once and everybody would clap twice. Or Mike would yell, hey, and then you were supposed to respond with, oh, and it was pretty cool. I had my group one year uh, at Berry College. I would go, ah! and they would all yell, I feel good, like James Brown, and, and, and get their attention. And now I just simply, you know, if I'm in a large group of people and need their attention, I'll just simply say, hey, if you can hear my voice, clap one time. And 15, 20 people will hear you and clap. Well, that large group clapping gets everybody else's attention. Then you go, hey, if you hear my voice clap twice, you get two claps. I've never had to do three. And you can get a room of several hundred people to quiet instantly with, hey, if you can hear my voice clap once, you can hear my voice clap twice. But this guy, it blowing a whistle. And he's blowing this whistle, and it is shrill. And it is random and it is intrusive and it's irritating and I'm sitting under a pavilion around a picnic table and some of my youth group is there and we're having a conversation and, and all of a sudden this thing goes off again. And I felt like the little cat in the bugs bunny cartoon where he is uh, just sitting around and the dog runs behind him and barks at him and he ends up on the ceiling upside down. That's how I felt every time this whistle went off and, and, and I mumble things. And my wife says I mumble things too loudly in public sometimes. But I'm sitting here, my head in my hands, I'm looking over my Bible. This whistle blows. I I, I have a, a visceral spinal reaction and I go, I'd give $23.75 for that whistle. Less than 45 minutes later, three young men come out of the sunshine under the tree that I'm sitting under and they are grinning like a mule-eating sawbriars. And I am presented by Mr. Watson, Smallwood, and Jacobs with a shiny, silver whistle. I was speechless. I felt like King David in, in 2 Samuel 23 or, or uh, 2 Chronicles 11, uh, or maybe it's 1 Chronicles 11, where David is, is sitting in a garrison and, and the Philistine army is has possession of bethlehem and david longingly says oh for a drink of the water from the well that is near bethlehem and these three guys these guys that are identified as the chief of david's warriors sometimes referred to as the original three mighty men they just decide to go down into the camp and get some water from this well Now, they don't stroll down here and buy a bottle of water. These guys break through, Scripture says, they broke through the lines, filled a container with water. And I assume they had to break back through the lines and they show up to David and hand him this container of water. Why? Because they were heroes and, and they could. Really cool story. And so here I stand here with my, quote, unquote, three mighty men. And they presented me with this shiny whistle. And I pull out my wallet, and I I, I peel out $23. And Brandon Jacob holds his hand out and says, and 75 cents, sir. It's not personal. It's business. And I dig in my pockets for three quarters. Apparently, these guys had staked out the men's room. And when the whistleblower walked in, one of them killed the lights, and the other two jumped him, and they frisked him in the dark and took his whistle. (laughs) I have that whistle along with another whistle, and we won't have time to tell that story. But that's how I came into possession of my collection of whistles. The three mighty men heard me mumble something under my breath and took it as serious and did the deed retrieve the whistle? How special would your loved ones feel if you anticipated their needs? How heroic would your actions seem if just because you knew that's what somebody wished? Just because somebody wanted If you could anticipate without having to be told or hinted at the needs of your parents, of your spouse, of your kids. If nobody had to walk up to you and say, I really need you to do this for me. But if we spend enough time with people that we could anticipate their needs and initiate action, proactively go do that. And I guess even even to the point that I will, I'll say that in a romantic relationship with your wife or your spouse, it, that it doesn't even have to be needs. It can just be wants. If you know they like this special treat or you know they like this special place or you know they like this type of thing and you just knowing enough about them anticipated that and would initiate action that said you didn't have to ask for it. All you had to do was wish for it. How how heroic would your actions be? And and understanding dads that your kids don't want stuff. They want you in their lives. Understanding moms that that your, your kids don't want stuff. They want you in their lives. Understand husbands that your wives want you to talk to them and listen to them. Wives, understand that your husbands want you to be with them and participate in their lives and be interested in them understanding the needs of your congregation, understanding the needs of your employees, understanding the goals and dreams of your bosses. What would happen if everybody that we interacted with, we had this level of intuition where if they hinted at longed for or alluded to something that would be special for them, if we could in reason respond to those needs. How special with their collection of special things that you've done and given and retrieved for them. And and, and sometimes the things that we do for people require some risk. Sometimes the things that we do for people require some effort. Sometimes the things that we do for people require some inconvenience. These guys didn't go down to the 7-Eleven and buy a ball of water. Three men fought through some lines and as, as two of them fought, somebody else lowered a bucket into a water well, filled it, capped it, and, and, and assuming it's in a water skin, or maybe even it was just a big jar, but you've got to hang on to this water, not spill it as you fight your way out. I, I'd like to see the movie on that. That's the footage I'd like to see of, of, of a battle is how three guys fight their way in through a line and and, and collect water and come back out and there's enough water to drink. And although David wasn't serious about drinking the water, when he got the water, the water became sacred. In fact, he said, this water represents the blood of these guys and I won't drink it. And he poured it out as as a libation offering to the Lord. He said, "I, I can't drink this water. It represents their blood and blood is sacred and it belongs to God, and and, and He poured it out. Just think about those little things that we could do for people that would become, quote, unquote, sacred. A card you could send, a gift you could send, a phone call you could make, a letter you could write, a service you could perform, a deed you could do all because you anticipated somebody's needs and responded to their needs. And in some cases, without being codependent, you even just responded to their wants because they were special to you and you were willing to make a heroic effort to respond to that need or that want. Several authors have written about understanding people. John Gottman calls it love mapping. Somebody else called it attunement. I think Courtney Armstrong calls it alignment. And it's basically the ability for me to see your world from your perspective. And when I can see your world from your perspective, and I understand what is special to you, what is important to you, what is sacred to you, what is desired by you, and simply respond to it with a gift of sacrifice. I don't know that, that two whistles make a collection. But I do know that the, the two whistles that I have collected were in response to something that I said I wanted. It really wasn't something I needed. <laughs> but it bothered me, and I complained about it, and, and some guys said, we can solve that problem. Just maybe if we understood what people really wanted, what they longed for and what they wished for, if we could just respond to that by giving them a gift, and, and the whistle is inconsequential. The water was inconsequential. It was the effort that it took to procure that made it special. And it's really not about what you give people. But the effort that it takes to listen to people and give them not just what they ask for, but what they wish for. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure is sponsored by... us. What? We sponsor ourselves? Is that even legal? Check us out on Amazon. You can have access to the titles of... Pedagogue, the youth ministry book by Lonnie Jones. Cognitive Spiritual Development, a Christ-centered approach to spiritual self-esteem. Grappling with Life, Controlling Your Inside Space, a small essay using the principles of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to talk about psychological and emotional self-defense. If I Were a Mouse... A children's book written and illustrated by Lonnie Jones. And then The Selfish Real, a very short story about a decision. Also, you can check out our YouTube channel to see archived lessons and presentations from across the country. Some videos with uh, rope tricks and knots. Don't forget to visit the uh, Facebook page, 550Guys, to learn about the little rope men that we make and that we invented and that we make. And then be sure to click like, subscribe, and share. This is Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure.